Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Why am I singing tequila? Why is tequila in it? I don't know why that's in my head. Why is that in my head? I don't know. I don't even drink. Neither. Don't you drink? No. Why are we just finding this out now? I sometimes have a wine or two, but I only get drunk overseas. That's so bizarre. Me too. Really? Yes. I don't know why that happens, but every time I've been blotto, yeah. I've been overseas. I think I just don't have any worries. Do not have to worry about work or driving or anything? I get blotto. This is about dead bodies. This is not about dead bodies. No, but that's bizarre. That's I mm. did the same thing and it upset the whole family. I started drinking cocktails at dinner, which is something I would not normally okay. do. Welcome to Dead Bodies Podcast. Mm, here it is. Did, did you want to talk about anything first? No? No. Yeah. I need to go to my dead body place. That's happening in the next episode. Yes. Also, you have teased us. Yes, because I need time to get there. A lot of excuses being thrown No, up. it'll be blah, in the yeah. next episode. Blah, blah, blah. It will be. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah? And the next episode can just start with me at the dead body's place, the dead body hiding spot. Look, Don't I'm just, disappoint I'm, us. I've just created the next episode. Don't let us down, Chanel. Go. Ingram Cecil Connor Third. He was born in 1946 in Florida from a very wealthy family. Um, but as you know, money doesn't necessarily buy happiness. His father killed himself when Ingram was just 12 years old. Mm. His mother died seven years later of cirrhosis of the liver. She'd been um, abusing alcohol for years and years and years. Ingram became a songwriter, a guitarist and a pianist and was professionally known as Graham Parsons. Graham? Graham Okay. Don't know why he chose that name. A large portion of our audience will be going, ah, ha, 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 because they know about Graham Parsons. Do they? For those who don't, hop on board. He was known uh, for what he called cosmic American music. So it was kind of country music, but it was a bit rock and very out there. This okay. is We're talking the 60s. We are talking right. everything was fueled by drugs in those days. Got you. Bit psychedelic, bit of folk, bit of rock. He recorded with the International Submarine Band, as if that's not just evidence of the use of drugs. Who calls their band that? There was an <laughs> obsession with submarines back then. There was a bit. Right? And space too because yeah. everyone was trying to I get up into the – I can't talk about space ever. Why? I don't know. It blows my mind that there's no walls of space. Where does space end? I know. Do you ever lay on your back and just look up at the sky and just think, where does it, what is it? That's what I mean. Where does it go? Where, where it go? are we? Uh, have you seen First Man with Ryan Gosling? I, I saw it. Have you seen Men in Black at the end when we're all just marbles in a bag? <laughs> <laughs> that blows my mind. It's not very scientific. Um, Sorry. Graham Parsons also recorded with The Birds, so we're getting into like some pretty, you know, successful bands here. And he had his own band called The Flying Burrito Brothers. Again, there's evidence of drugs right there. Like, does that mean, Flying Burrito Brothers? Uh, one of his better-known songs, in fact, we'll listen to a little bit of it here, was, and you'll recognise this, Love Hurts, which he recorded with Emmy Lou Harris. Love is like a cloud, pulls a lot of rain. Love hurts. Mm, love hurts. 
No, you don't need to sing it. We will put no. <laughs> you sure? Yep. Okay. Um, the Flying Burrito Brothers had an album in 1969 called The Gilded Palace of Sin, and it was a bit of soul, it was a bit of psychedelic rock. Graham and the band were on the album cover. I love it. It's so hippie. They've got nudie suits on. They've got hippie decorations on them. There's marijuana leaves. There's everything. Mm-hmm. Drugs, 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 drugs. And Graham, because he was this wealthy young man, he was Free to do as he jolly well liked. He was what was known as a trust fund baby. I guess they still exist. Yep. Um, when he came of age, he was getting around about, so this is in the 60s, he was getting about $30,000 a year, which in today's terms would lot. be, yeah, like a couple That's of hundred a, yeah. a year to live off without having to do anything. Um, he started having holidays at Joshua Tree National Monument in southeastern California. And he just fell in love with that area. He loved it. He took drugs there. Apparently, he saw several UFOs or not. That's another – submarines, UFOs. Drugs, drugs, drugs. Mm. The Flying Burrito Brothers, original drummer Eddie Ho, was unable to record because of his substance abuse problem. And they sacked him after just two songs. Drugs, drugs, drugs. I'm just trying to get that theme in there. Yep. Now, by this time, uh, Graham Parsons' own use of drugs had increased so much. He wasn't working on any new songs, but he was spending time with his new best friends, the Rolling Stones. They were in America at the time and they were finishing the Let It Bleed album and his relationship with the Stones paid off to the point where the Flying Burrito Brothers were booked as... Now, have you ever heard of the Altamont Music Festival? No. It was kind of big and famous. So there's a documentary called Gimme Shelter and Altamont, just everything that could have gone wrong, did. It was a massive music festival, 300,000 people. There were stabbings, there were overdoses, there mm. were oh, there was violence, there was you name it. I don't drink and I don't like going to festivals. No, well, you wouldn't have liked it's this so one. so boring, aren't uh, I? But yeah. there's just too many people there for me. Altamont was just out of control. Oh, I don't like people touching me. Oh, you would have been in you know, terrible trouble. Sweaty people. If you do ever watch the Gimme Shelter doco, you'll see the Burrito Brothers performing six days. So they'd really kind of hit big times. He hit, right. He'd hit big times there. Uh, he signed a solo deal with A&M Records and he moved in with a producer by the name of Terry Melcher in 1970. They both got into the cocaine and the heroin and they produced very little music. So drugs, drugs, mm. drugs, not much music. Graham, and he was talented. He could sing. He, he was, but in a really out there kind of way. And I don't think he was a fully appreciated during his lifetime, I've just given away that he's going to die. But anyway, oh, let's get to that. They always do in this podcast. So the Rolling Stones were touring the UK in 1971 and Graham Parsons joined them. He lived with Keith Richards for a little while in France. Oh. And Keith Richards, was they were just they just kind of fitted together. They were right. best of mates. Um, but Graham was off his nut on drugs most of the time. He fought with his girlfriend, a girl by the name of Gretchen Burrell. And eventually Keith Richards' partner, Anita Pallenberg, kicked him out of the house because he was drinking too much. Mm. Uh, he married Gretchen Burrell, 1971, at his father, uh, stepfather's estate in New Orleans. Just keep that in your mind, that okay. stepdad had an estate in New Orleans. Um, but he and Gretchen Burrell fought constantly and they separated. Um, in the summer of 1973, he left a cigarette burning and it burned his home to the ground. He lost everything except a guitar mm. And his jag. Gretchen was gone by then, so she was okay. Mm. But she'd had enough of everything. She just completely left him. And nothing for Gretchen Wieners. No, she gets nothing. Uh, Into his life, though, came his old high school sweetheart, Margaret Fisher. Hello, Margaret. Margaret. Did you ever watch the uh, Little Britain? 
with the guy no. in the toy shop. He's always calling out to his wife. People would, the guy would come into the toy shop and ask for something very difficult. Do you have a jigsaw puzzle with a pirate on uh, changing his nappies? Margaret, Margaret, do we have a puzzle with a pirate changing his nappies? <laughs> you haven't seen it? No. That means nothing to you then. Doesn't. Wasted my time. Though. I liked it. Margaret! Uh, so, Margaret and Graham would spend their weekends at the Joshua Tree National Park. He loved this place. Mm. Um, Why does Joshua Tree sound familiar to me? I don't know there's an album to... called Joshua Tree, you too. Mm. It's kind, It's okay. just a place. It's like a place that people take pilgrimage, pil- pilgrimages to, pilgrimai, okay. plural yep. of. And along with Margaret and Graham would go his tour manager and good mate Phil Kaufman. So Graham went to the Joshua Tree National Monument on September the 17th. Unrelated fact, that's the day my son was born. Um, Not in the same year, different year. September the 17th, 1973. And with Graham were his personal assistant, Michael Martin, Michael Martin's girlfriend, a girl by the name of Dale McElroy, and Margaret was there too. So they're all in the Joshua Tree National Monument area, staying together. Graham would head out into the desert. Um, The three of them would then have drinks in the bars in the area. Um, Graham had a lot of alcohol, a lot of barbiturates in very high amounts. On September the 18th, so the next day, Michael Martin, uh, his personal assistant, left to go back to LA to get some more marijuana. Uh, that night, Graham challenged his girlfriend, Margaret Fisher, and her the other girl, Dale McElroy, to drink with him, but they neither of them would. So Margaret Fisher didn't particularly like alcohol, and Dale McElroy was recovering from a bout of hep C, so hmm. neither of them wanted to drink. So uh, Graham said, I'll drink for the three of us, oh. and he proceeded to drink six double tequilas. He went back to the Joshua Tree Inn where they were staying, where he bought morphine from an unknown this young woman. This is why woman. you're thinking of tequila at the start of the episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm, carry on. In room number eight, which has now become part of local folklore, he was injected by her. We still don't know who this woman is in uh, in room number eight. And he overdosed. With morphine? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Margaret found him in that condition, his girlfriend Margaret, and gave him an ice cube suppository. <gasps> I don't know what that's supposed to do, but I think if you've got a block Wake of ice right up, up your jacksy, that would – but that didn't work. Uh, she gave him a cold shower, and instead of moving him around the room, she put him to bed thinking that he was just blind drunk from all those tequilas oh. that he drank, didn't know that he'd had this dose. And she went out to buy some coffee in the hopes of waking him up, left him there, um, sorry, left Dale McElroy there to stand watch him. Was he dead at that point or they don't know? No, still alive. Oh, still, alive still alive. But his breathing became really irregular and then eventually stopped. So um, Dale McElroy tried to resuscitate him, but she couldn't. They called an ambulance and he was declared dead on his arrival at the High Desert Memorial Hospital just after midnight on September the 19th. So they'd only been in the area a couple of days. Mm. He was only 26 years old when he died. Mm. The official cause of death was an overdose of morphine and alcohol. It gets interesting. Uh, In 2005, Margaret Fisher wrote a book called Grievous Angel, which was the name of an album that he produced at one point, uh, an intimate uh, biography of Graham Parsons, and she said that the amount of morphine that he'd taken would have been lethal to three regular users. That's how much he'd had. 
how much he'd had and also how high his tolerance must have been. Yeah. I just wonder if a normal person would have overdosed with just one or two. Well, she said it would have been Mm. enough to kill three people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Just a little side note here. On the day he died, it was the day after he died, a musician by the name of Jim Croce died Mm. in a plane crash. A lot of people have heard of Jim Croce from Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. Leroy Brown. So really that took all the headlines away and Graham Parsons' death sort of became less noticed because everyone was more concerned. Jim Croce was the biggest star at the time and it was a more dramatic death. So people sort of – there was no focus on Graham Parsons really. Um, Before his death, Graham had made a little pact with his mate, Kaufman, Phil Kaufman. Mm Hang on, no, no. Just I, I don't want to tell you that yet. Um, oh, yes, I will. Okay, they made a pact okay. that when he died. Okay, mate. You're right. <laughs> Just stinging. When he died. Well, they there. both made the same pact. They both said whichever of us dies first, we want our remains to, we want to be cremated and sprinkled at the Joshua tree. Oh, okay, because they loved it. Yeah, over Cap Rock it was called at Joshua mm-hmm. tree. Um, but, so, Graham's dead. And other guy's still alive. The other guy's still alive. Phil Kaufman's yeah. still alive. And uh, Graham's stepfather, Bob, big estate in New Orleans. Yep. Yep. He's organised a private ceremony back in New Orleans. Oh. And he hasn't invited any of Graham's friends from the music his industry. Mates. Yeah. Mm. Who were his mates in his life? And that's sure. what he loved. He may not but have. But they would have seen them as just yep. creative people who take drugs, drugs, drugs. Exactly. So stepfather's organised. To have the body shipped mm-hmm. back to New Orleans for the for the ceremony, um, some people will say that Bob Parsons stood to inherit Graham's share of his grandfather's estate if he could prove that Graham was a resident of Louisiana. Some people say that they, he only wanted him back there to bury him so that he could get what was coming to him. Maybe that's being unkind. Maybe there is some truth to it. However, Phil Kaufman, and just remember, drugs, drugs, drugs. No one's making sensible decisions about things. Got you. Uh, Everyone's affected. Phil Kaufman, his mates died and he wants to carry out Graham's wishes. So he and a mate borrowed a hearse and before the body was loaded onto a plane at LA International Airport... They stole the body. No! And they drove it to Joshua Tree. Now, the police started chasing them, but Kaufman and his mate... Drugs, drugs, drugs. Yes. No way, man. We've got to get him back. Exactly. I love it so much. I love it so much. They managed to evade the police. They got away. They got the body to Cap Rock, that section of the park. Yeah, but he's not cremated. No, but so they need to do that. So they poured five gallons of gasoline into the open coffin and they threw a lit match inside. (gasps) There was a huge fireball. I have seen a photo of where they did it and the rock. There's a huge char mark on the rock where they actually tried to do it. Now, the the most basic knowledge that I have of cremation is that it has to be up like 1,000 degrees or something. It's an impossible heat to reach unless you have a furnace. Yep. Obviously, they weren't completely successful. With no, no, they wouldn't have been at all. So Phil, look. Bottom line is, Phil. They Kaufman, would have been lucky to even reduce the coffin to ash. Yep. 
and here we come back to okay. So Ka- Phil Caffin and his mate were arrested because you, they should. That's be, illegal. I'm not sure exactly Imagine what that. for. You're the stepdad. Yes. Phone rings. Yep. Look, we've had a problem. We've got him. You know those but... people that you didn't want to invite to the funeral? Well, they're really pissed off about that. Mm-hmm. Oh well, rack off. They'll have to work it out when they get. Well, they stole your stepson's body. Yep, oh. and he ain't what? looking good at the moment. We've oh, got a what? problem. Where is it? So as we On have fire. discussed, before, what? <laughs> what? You tell me off for doing impressions, and no, I'm doing just thinking. I always think about people getting. Phone calls because work. <laughs> what? Because of what happens at work. I think about people getting phone calls about what happened to their loved ones. Anyway, go. Uh, well, as we have discussed before, there is no law against stealing a dead body. Nobody owns a dead body. Oh, yes, so of course. The only thing they could do, the cops could do, was fine them $750 for stealing the coffin. What about interfering with the corpse? No. Because they, they technically lit it on fire. So that's interfering. Is that interfering with the corpse? There were, no, but they they weren't prosecuted. I feel like the police were probably a bit sympathetic about what right. had happened. There was about 35 pounds, 16 kilos of charred remains left. So Who what wants was... to watch their friend burn, though, as well? Well, they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were And they weren't thinking clearly. All right, where did, en- where did he end up? All right, up? so what was remained, what remained of Graham's body was... Um, eventually sent back to Louisiana. So he was eventually buried in the Garden of Memories Cemetery in Materi in Louisiana. The spot where Graham's body was burned in yeah. the park was marked by a small concrete slab under a piece of rock. And that's become as, come known as the Graham Parsons Memorial Hand Traverse. But the slab's been moved and relocated to the Joshua Tree Inn. That's interesting because... Inn, like a hotel... Well, you spoke in the last episode about your haunted room. Do you think if he's if his ghost is going to hang around, does he want to be back where he died or does he want to be where he loved, the Joshua? Where's his ghost going to hang around and turn lights on and off and showers on and off in the middle of the night? I don't know. So there's no monument at Cap Rock if you do go there. There's nothing marked on maps of Joshua Tree. Um, mm. If the tour guides do things, that they're given the option of mentioning it, but they don't always. There was a film in 2003 starring Johnny Knoxville as Phil Kaufman. It's called Grand Theft Parsons, and it's kind of a bit – it's a very comical, farcical sort of Situation. depiction of what happened. Um, there's a documentary film that came out in 2006 called Graham Parsons' Fallen Angel. There's a music festival called Graham Fest or the Cosmic American Music Festival. And in 2009, there was a musical theatre production, production called Grievous Angel, The Legend of Graham Parsons. And uh, 30 years after his death – he was awarded the Americana Music Association President's Award and ranked as number 87 on Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. I'd never heard of him. And I Neither. wish I could remember I didn't know who, that story. No, someone actually tipped me off and said, you should talk about Graham Parsons. And I do apologise to whoever that was who very kindly mm. said you should look into this story. We do appreciate tips. If there are any stories you want us to look at and mangle the way I just ruined that one. Right in. Tell us. Deadbodiespodcast um, at gmail.com. Sorry, I armed over That's your right. plug of our contact methods. You, <laughs> I've been on a lot of planes and I've said in a previous episode, play, pe- places where people lose their shit, yep. airports and on planes. Yep. It's just where everyone turns in. Everyone's obnoxious. I think it's the opposite. I think everyone's very relaxed. Everyone goes, what? we're just going to need to get comfortable here. No, get so I never sleep on planes. 
I did 15 hours to LA. I was awake for every minute of it. <gasps> 15 hours back to Melbourne, awake. I don't sleep on planes. Wow. And it's not, I'm not a nervous flyer or anything. It's just, it's uncomfortable. You don't trust anyone because you think everyone's oh, well, again, a murderer. Again, don't think TV news is glam. I'm not up in business. I mean, I'm in yeah. economy, yeah, which is fine, but it's it's not comfortable. No. So, having a, a look around, you know how when people die on planes. Do they really? Yeah, they do. And I always you know think how I'm they, going to. But you know, I'm... you never want to hear over the PA like. Are there any doctors on board? Could you come to see twenty eight? A, immediately. You know, like that, <laughs> yes. you never want to hear that. But I did, I do have a friend who is an air hostess and she said, yes, she's had someone die on her flight. <gasps> That's a thing. And there's only so many times they're going to turn the plane around. Like if they're, if you're, say you go to LA and you're 14 hours in, they're not turning around no. and you're over ocean. There's nowhere to go. So they've got to do something with your body. An article. They can't leave it sitting there, can they? No, they can't. So BBC uh, did a series called A Very British Airline and British Airways revealed on that. Hang on. If you're going to tell me that there is somewhere they lay down the body, I'm going to be really angry because I want that place to lay down and sleep in. Do you? And why would they give it to a dead person? Well, I would enjoy having a lay down sleep. People, there there was some speculation when I was Googling this that, they put them in a toilet and just put that toilet as out of order. I'm okay with that. Are you? Yes. No, I'm not because then some you want to go to the easiest access one, you know? Where do they put them? Well, sometimes they put them in first class. I knew you were going to that, – no, that's so they wrong. Do. Okay, no, I'm going to pretend to be dead so on the next flight. I go on. I'm going ideally, to they're placed in first class. And they can't do that. Hang on a second. No, they don't. Because people there have paid a fortune. You are not going to accept having a dead body next to you. Well, this is like the time you don't want a dead body next to you in first class. And on a flight recently, I saw a mum with a screaming baby and there were stairs in the economy area that went up to the fancy business class area and the kid, the screaming kid really wanted to go up there. And the mum who, and I do feel bad for mums on flights. I'm saying this, I'm not being one of those people. Yes, I have put up with a kid kicking the back of my seat once for 10 hours and I let it happen because the parents kept apologising to me. And oh, I said, okay. it's yeah. fine in my head. Mm. See, that's what mm. I'm thinking. We all, I we all get on. It. We all thing, go. Right? Okay, we we're all in this together. So we do. the lady asked the air hostess, would you mind if I just took him up to have a quick look around? And she was like, no. Yeah, no, you can't Straight do up, that. Straight up, no. Those yeah. people paid 10 grand for their seats. They don't want you and with your, no shoes on and your crying baby up there. But if you die, you could end up in first class. So it's a good way to get an upgrade, but you can't enjoy it much. I don't believe it at all. I think that the... Flight attendants have got some sneaky place where they lay down and have a sleep on a long-haul flight. So years ago, apparently, they used to put the person back in their chair and put a blanket on them and close their eyes, make it (gasps) out like they were sleeping. Um, well, that's that's okay. And someone's quoted here, we give them a vodka and tonic and newspaper and eye shades like they were just fine. But we don't do that anymore. That's what they said. They put the eye mask on and put tray table down, put a vodka on there, lay them back like they were fine. I, do you know, I wouldn't mind that as long as they're quiet. Would you prefer a chatty person or a quiet one? Oh, I, okay, this is my deal. Happy to chat when we take off. Mm. No more chatting after that. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's okay. Happy to chat. Oh, mm. hi, yeah, great. We're going to sit next to each other. Oh, you shit, you got the middle seat. Yeah, I've got the aisle. I'm not swapping with you. Anyway, where are you going? You're here for work, blah, blah, blah. As soon as that plot, yep. stop talking. Don't talk at me My the headphones are on. I'm going to watch some crap show and I'm awake for the next X amount of hours. I don't want you chatting my mm-hmm. ear off. Yep. You know? So you would be okay if the person died after their initial Probably. chat with you? Probably. <laughs> so it does say that a body of a woman who died, what, died while travelling on an American Airlines plane from New York to Haiti was moved to the first class section and she was covered with a blanket. She was pronounced dead by a doctor on board and the flight continued. Um, That's... Well, actually, no. Ha ha. Ha ha. Because I wish I was there and I never will ever be in first class. And they've got everything, so have let them have the dead body. I in, changed my thoughts on that. In 2009, quickly. passengers praised a Continental Airlines crew for keeping them unaware that the pilot had died mid-flight. <gasps> yeah. The 60-year-old Continental Airlines captain died from a heart attack and the two co-pilots safely landed the plane with 247 passengers on board. They only found out what had happened when they were safely on the ground. Ooh, wow. Right? Yeah. I'm okay with that. Don't tell me the freaking pilots died. Wouldn't you notice a different voice making the announcements? Well, old mate would really start Hello, chatting next to me if that This is your captain happened. speaking. G'day, this is your captain speaking. You go, hang on yeah, a minute, that's not that's Captain wrong. Jack. It's... I was once on a flight and um, there was water coming out of the window, like just a little bit, and the lady next <laughs> to me was really freaking out about it and I could see her freaking out. <laughs> I just had headphones in and I think I was reading and I could see her looking at the window, looking at me, looking at the window, <laughs> and then she tapped me and I was like, Christ alive, here Is this we go. during the flight or during just during the take flight. off? She goes, this is in your no speaking yeah, time. Yeah, my yeah. no speaking time. She goes, can you see that water? And I said, oh, yeah. Kept she goes, I think I should tell the flight attendant. And I said, sure. And she goes, are you not affected by that? And I was like, just looks like a bit of condensation. No, I'm not overly affected by it. Maybe I'm the idiot here. I'm not sure. Anyway, she was very affected. She got the air hostess who came and looked at it had very much the same reaction as I did. <laughs> and I could just I tell this lady was, she thought we were going to die the whole flight. I'm happy with them leaving them sitting up in the chair. Are there more? That's enough? It's all along the same thing. They put them in business. They put they business put you in on first business. class. But I have heard as well on the big uh, A380s yeah. that they'll take them down to where the crews sleep. Because the I, crew have sleeper that's things. That's my dream down one day, what, to, to, to be allowed to go into that sleeping that's area and sleep. That's your dream. That's your dream. I just dream. want to lay down. That's, your that's all I want. Dream. I just want to lay down. I pay extra for extra leg room. Do you? No, yeah, I, I do no, that. I, that fork, makes, I fork no. out for that. And then they come up and they go, are you willing to help during an emergency? Will you pull the door open? And I go, mate, in an emergency, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be knocking out people that are trying to get their overhead <laughs> luggage out. That's what I'm going to be doing during an emergency. Uh, feedback. Feedback time, Chanel. Okay. okay. Uh, this is some references to things that we have discussed in previous episodes. Um, this one's a bit heavy, mm. but I want to share with you. I remember I spoke about Cherie Beasley. So she was the little girl that we're missing, little six-year-old in Rosebud. Her body was found in a drain. Um, this is from Elizabeth mm-hmm. via our Facebook page. She said, OMG, listening to the latest ep, I am all but sick. That poor sweet baby girl, all of the things that Dee Dee says Robert Lowe had done is my ex-husband to a T. What? She's not saying that Robert Lowe was her ex-husband. She's saying that she was married to a man who fitted a similar 
life and profile to him. Uh, She says, exposing to kids, going to beach and being a creep, using fucking religion to cover his real personality. Thank God the police and school, yes, he was a teacher, (gasps) worked him out. I took my six-year-old and four-month-old and ran to New South Wales. My ears pricked up. I worked at um, Somerville, lived in Narrywarren South. His parents are in Rosebud and they're bloody clueless. So his parents still don't know. Isn't so that she one just of got those away from him. Where yeah. You you just never know mm. who your neighbours are, who you're married to. Yep. People can just live double lives. She says, good on you for being mouthy. That's not me. Uh, it's Chanel who's got the body Sorry, now. Sorry, it's me. Sozo. Mm. I, can't I was it. only I quoting just... that um, I know. F word earlier. I'm I very don't professional on the news. At all. If I say I'm it, I say very... it with a K in front of it. People always say I'm going to end up dropping a swear word during a live cross one day. I'm careful. I said the C word on air. What? Yes, I did. What? Kirsten's nodding because she That's heard it. That's the worst word. I know. But it was no. It I'm was... saying it like I've never said it at say all the time. But Kirsten, can we hear it? Can you beep it? I'll find it. Yeah. She'll... Thank you. No, not thank you. I was talking about. No, don't say it. We'll just listen to it. All right, but we have to beep it. It's yeah, too... yeah, yeah. Beep it. Well, no, we don't have to. It's a podcast. Okay, warning. Kirsten's going to add it on as a treat at the end of this episode. Yeah. It'll be the last thing you hear. Great. We'll leave you with it. Okay. Um, I love it in my day job where mm. uh, judges have to read out in their sentencing remarks what people say to each other. Oh, And yeah. so you're in a really formal setting and there's these prestigious judges who, you know, we all bow to and very mm. respectful and then they say things like, right before you murdered John Doe, you yelled... You fucking, and they just <laughs> drop it, and then you you're there typing away, and it's weird. Do you put f a- asterisk asterisk? Well, interesting. Interestingly, so when we have to we have to ask, we normally do the whole for the c word. Yeah, we do asterisk on the whole word because it's Rudy, right? One day I got a graphic back from graphics not at the current network I work at, Mm -hmm. and they had done it for C-U-N-T, but the person had been called an effing C-U-N-T and they'd done C-U-N-T but not fucking. (laughs) I had to say, oh, I don't know when we decided that the word fucking could be on the news, but I suggest we get rid of both those words. Hmm. Well, look, Elizabeth is is cool with it. She says... um, Yeah, good on you for being mouthy. What the fuck is it with men preying on kids? Mm. Very triggering episode for me. Uh, Robert Lowe is a fucker. Yes, he is. Elizabeth, that's Elizabeth saying that, not me. I don't swear. Except for the things coming up at the end of this Can I put that out there? I'm glad she's safe and I'm glad her children are safe. Yes. A couple more bits of feedback before Mm. you get to yours. or do you want to – should we back and forth? Oh, look on. Oh, you've already started. Don't start okay. working out how we're going to do this <laughs> Don't know. Tell while we're recording. Kirsten's supposed to keep me under control. How have I been this time? Not bad. Keep, we're, we've been I've good. listened back to some episodes and I just sound hysterical because I get excited. I know, same. Uh, this one was from Brad on the Grave Bells subject, which you have oh. continued to poo-poo me over. Stop writing in about this. It <laughs> makes him – 
Crazy. And I was really disappointed with our grave digger who said that it wouldn't work because, this, you know, if you pulled on a string that there's earth and that would stop the string from – okay, so this is where Brad comes in and he says – and he's quoting a book he found at work years ago that had someone brought in and it was all about old ways of killing people and burials. The book was hand-illustrated and had pictures of Egyptians, torture techniques, Native American torture and death practices. And my favourite the- – <laughs> Oh, no. I don't know what's his favourite. The old Norse blood eagle. I don't know why that's his favourite. Anyway. I don't know why that was funny. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway. It, oh, I'm going to move on to the next bit of feedback if you don't pull yourself together. <laughs> okay. This is not even funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. All right. He says... In the burial part, it had a section on grave bells. Apparently back in the Victorian era, you were buried with a string. Yeah, we know all that. Tied to your toe, blah, 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 blah. Uh, But he says it went through a bit of tubing to a bell, and that answers the question. That explains it, and I believe it. Um, He he says, (laughs) it's just Brad's sign-off. He says, the book looked legit, so I'm running with it. (laughs) Ring my bell. Mm. (laughs) But you know one ever did because they're 100% dead. Yeah. Uh, so I'm taking that as proof that it did happen. And the final one, and if you have been um, visiting our Facebook page, you will have seen that this was up there because I was so happy when this came in. Um, this is regarding your bullshit about oh. spiders eating. What did you say? What was your thing you said? That you eat spiders throughout your life. Yeah. No, it was eight or something you said. I couldn't remember. I made up the number. I couldn't Don't remember exactly how many it. numbers, how many it was. Backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. How many is it? Uh, okay, uh, this is um, myth busted. This is from reliable news source news.com.au. Oh. <laughs> it says somewhere in history, some guy went around telling everyone that you eat eight spiders a year while you sleep. I need to get in touch with them and tell them to make that Chanel Vella on the Dead Bodies podcast went around telling everyone. Okay. Uh, it, the, it says, the fact isn't even close to being true. Oh. Spiders don't have any reason to get in bed with you. We now quote Bill Shear, who is the former president of the American Arachnological Society. Well, st- for starters, that expert can rack off because I've 100% found a whitetail underneath my pillow once. Not in your mouth. That's the difference. Well, if it's No, you just said they don't have any reason to get into bed with you, but obviously they do because old whitetail mate was in there one day. Well, he says... I was flopping my pillow before I slept and I saw a black thing. In the esteemed publication, Scientific American, that spiders don't think of us as delicious things to hop into or climb into. They just see us as a big rock. We're just a part of the landscape to them. And he says that spiders use vibrations to warn them of danger. So when you are snoring, drooling and farting in your bed, Charnel Bella, I don't the do spider goes, ooh. I drool. I don't do anything else. The spider is scared of that and will not be eaten by you. I call bullshit on your. I think it's very plausible that you've been telling us. It's unbelievable that she thinks that people would come back to life and ring a bell, but would not (laughs) think that a spider could crawl into your mouth. Come back to life if they're buried alive. Come back to life, so everyone thought they were dead. So you technically, it's unbelievable. I think you're very intelligent. Yes, and you'll be laughing when they bury you and you're not dead and you want to try and get a message to me and there's no bell. There's nothing. I won't you'll hear anything. Be the last What's that I hear? I a bell contact. ringing? No, not. Charnel's been buried alive. Can't tell anyone. Too bad. So sad. Whatever. From Natalie on Facebook. Mm-hmm. She says, Hi, DD and Charnel. I'm really enjoying listening to the podcast and just finished episode 
16, where you talk about scattering ashes. Remember that one? Yep. Dee Dee, you mentioned scattering ashes at the MCG, whether it was allowed or not. Mm. A co-worker of mine, actually, for those, there are some people listening from overseas, the mm-hmm. MCG yep. is a is the biggest stadium. It's the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Yep. Uh, it's where our AFL Grand Finals played. It was built in 1956 for when the Olympics were in Melbourne, Australia. How many people does it hold? About 100,000. Okay. A co-worker of mine who worked at the MCG said that they received so many requests from loved ones wanting to scatter ashes on the ground, although it wasn't allowed. Mm. She said that if they just so happened to make their way to the ground, she would look the other way. She said this happened on a number of occasions and that there were plenty of people who would come and would sprinkle handfuls of ashes around the ground. Oh. In 2013, the MCG issued a warning to cricket and AFL fans not to scatter the ashes of loved ones on the ground. There was an open day to commemorate the club's 175th anniversary and 30,000 visitors passed through the stadium. Afterwards, employees found several piles of ashes on the turf. (laughs) At least six different groups emptied urns onto the ground. (laughs) Everyone was sneaking their ashes in. The ban is in place because of health and safety concerns. Small fragments of bone are often left in the ash and that can be quite sharp and jagged for footballers and cricketers running across the turf. And over time, the ashes will actually be removed and thrown away as they replace the turf quite regularly as part of its maintenance program. This is what I said about it's so likely that we've inhaled people in the air. Yeah, probably. Right? Yeah. I love all the sneaky ones who snuck in ashes. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I like that. And I love that they've gone around and they're like, is that an anthill? No, that's great. I wonder how they did it. I wonder if they did it. Like, what's uh, the greatest, like in the movie, The Great Escape? Have you seen no, that where they um, dig the tunnel and they have it in their trousers and, and they, they empty drop it, it out? At the end? And they did yep. that in, um, what's that movie? It's one of my favorite movies. I know what you're talking about. Um, Not the wall one. Freeman. Yes. What is that movie? It's one of my favorite damn Shawshank movies. Redemption. Yes. Shawshank Redemption. There you go. He did that. He was emptying it out around the yep. jail grounds. It's good. Now, this is from an anonymous person. Ooh. Not even going to say how they contacted us. Okay. And they've asked us not to name them, but they're talking about Steve Irwin's body. Oh. Now, they say they know for a fact that he's buried at Australia Zoo. Well, now, isn't where he's buried the subject of... I mean, no one really knows. No one really knows. And that's interesting because I've never thought about that. But What does Anonymous say? They say that he's buried on the grounds of Australia Zoo, but not in the public areas, but near where his childhood family home still stands. Isn't that interesting? I suppose they don't. It'd be like with Princess Diana's burial they want it to not be where people could go and maybe take souvenirs or something where's she buried oh she's in a um, a little eye and it's at the is it what's the name of the estate is it althorpe i can't think the family estate but she's on an uh an island in the middle of a lake so it's quite difficult to get to so that people won't you know you just don't know what people would do Mm. one more yep from facebook from judy had a laugh listening to the podcast today where Chanel talks about where people sprinkle their beloved ashes and reminded me of the time I was fishing with a friend down at Apollo Bay. 
when along came a group of 30 well-dressed Mediterranean-looking people. They were there to sprinkle Nonna's ashes over the water. It wasn't a well-thought-out plan, though. <laughs> as soon as the ceremony was over, they sprinkled the ashes over the water and into the wind, <laughs> which blew Nonna's ashes towards us Oops. and completely covered us. Oh, we sorry, were white sorry. and oh, so ashy. Sorry. The relatives were mortified and we were crying with laughter. Nonna. How's that? What a good sport. Imagine a bit wet in I your mouth. That. Like when you don't wash the lettuce properly and you get like sand in your mouth. Anyway, thanks for the great podcast and oh. I've been known to burst out laughing to myself at the gym while listening. There's another place dot, where people dot, dot, listen. Quite often. Please listen to us in strange places. Well, that's uh, a little bit sickening, but... Good on you for being a good sport and laughing good and having on you. dead body ashes all over you. So please um, contact us. We love to hear from mm. you. Deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com, Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. And now Uh-oh. listen to Dee saying the bad word. I've been making my own red currant jelly this year. Have you? Yeah, Kieran grew some red currants. So, uh, currants. Sorry, it, um, it's just the same quantity of yes. red currants yeah. as, um, as sugar. That's that's good. That's good. They are lovely. Joanna, lovely to talk Lovely to, to speak to you. Uh, let's, let's take a break. It's 17 minutes past five. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.